0: This week, Three Sides of the Coin, I am in 80s Kiss Heaven. We have the author of yep. this amazing book, Take It Off, Kiss, Truly Unmasked. Two he hours. almost broke out his 80s. Uh, I, sh- I should have I put on my thing. Crazy Nights outfit. Oh, yeah. God, you know what? I didn't realize it, but I actually have my Crazy Nights jean jacket here.
1: Yeah, well, that's at least part of it.
0: My Crazy Night's jean jacket. It's got bicycle reflectors and patches. I don't think I could fit in it. A hockey helmet? (laughs) Anyway, great discussion this week.
2: This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to three sides of the coin
0: hey everybody welcome back to another episode of three sides of the coin i'm one of your two co-hosts michael branville as always tommy summers we were here when it started and we'll be here when the lights get turned off
1: mm-hmm. pretty much
0: mark is uh I just got back on shore from the kiss cruise yesterday day before from when we're recording this and he's sitting in some seafood restaurant right now in a shrimp coma, so he wasn't going to be too productive on the show.
1: No, uh, uh-uh. he's got one one last night of like uh, swinger action, I suppose. He's like, he
0: do I eat shrimp or do I talk about kiss? Screw kiss, give me the shrimp. Pretty much. Um. Real quick, we do have to mention on the KISS cruise, KISS announced a couple big things. First of all, the very last KISS show has been announced. July 17th, 2021 in New York City. Venue is not known. My am guessing Central Park. I was going to say my guess is either Central Park or one of the baseball stadiums. But maybe Central Park, I think, would be a bigger event. So anyway, July 17th, 2021, that is the end of the road. That is the last KISS show. Um, No details on tickets, no nothing other than that. They also announced like 75 more dates around the world. They announced two more U.S. legs. A South American leg, another Europe leg. Um, This is all dates in 2020. And the Kiss Cruise is returning for Kiss Cruise 10. So we don't know what's going to happen in 2021 between January 1st and July 17th. But you could pretty much guess there'll be more shows in 2021 as well. Can't hear you.
1: Sorry, they were vacuuming so I, oh, I okay. Michael. I know there's going to be more because I know of one in particular that's happening in my area that has not been announced yet. So, uh expect to see more.
0: Yeah, so head over to kissonline.com. They've got all of the the new dates. I don't think the venues have been announced for all these dates. Um and ticket information hasn't been announced. It does look like it some of it isn't necessarily a quote um second city tour, the you know the Small venues, smaller markets, but some of these are smaller markets where they haven't played in many, many years. Right. So, again, last show, July 17th, 2021. 75 more dates announced around the world for 2020. KissOnline.com's got all the info. Now, today, we are joined by a special guest. We're joined by the author of this amazing book, Kiss. Actually, it's called Take It Off, Kiss Truly Unmasked. Greg Prado, the author. All 80s kiss talk this week, people. I'm in heaven. Yeah. Heaven's on Michael fire. Is hap-
1: Michael is as happy as Mark is in his free coma.
0: That's true. I To prepare for this week's interview, today I listened to Crazy Nights, Revenge, Lick It Up, Kiss Alive 3, it was just like, oh, God, that was that was my kiss. I want that back.
1: Tom's like, you enough. can have it. I like some of that stuff. Talked anyway,
0: about that. awesome two-hour conversation. We get into just about every album. We glance over a couple of them real quick, but we have some amazing... Amazing thoughts and discussions about every album during the Unmasked era, including Carnival so, yeah. of Souls.
1: Watch the whole thing. Yeah, watch the whole thing and get out and get that book. And,
0: and, and, and to be clear, it's not just 80s Kiss, it's Unmasked Kiss. So it's right. any album that happened unmasked. So that includes Revenge, that includes Carnival of Souls. All right, people. Let it roll. Greg? The author, take it off. Kiss, truly unmasked.
2: Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tea? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Everybody, so we are really excited. We've got a special guest
0: joining us this week, an author. We've got Greg Prado, who is the author of Take It Off, Kit. Well, actually, what's the pro take it off kiss truly unmasked? I was trying to like, what's the proper order of the words here? Um, take It Off, Kiss, Truly Unmasked by Greg Prado. Um, as far as I know, Other than probably some of the books that Julian Gill has done, this is the only book that's only about Kiss with no makeup. Is that correct?
3: I think it is, personally.
0: I think so, too.
3: (laughs) I mean, I know that um, the uh, um, official Kiss book that came out uh, a while back, which was uh, Behind the Mask, right? Wasn't that what it was called? That had a section about the non-makeup era, but it wasn't, of course, about solely the non-makeup era. And that book also, right. I think, primarily had Gene and Paul telling the story, whereas this book, "Take There's It Off," people. we yeah, we we yeah, we hear more from Bruce Kulick, um, Ron Nevison, and a bunch of other fans, and also people that were either songwriters or producers or somehow linked to the band.
0: So, so before we get into talking about the book. Let's talk about you and being a Kiss fan. So, sort of like, okay, what makes you are what makes you the expert to talk about Kiss unmasked? You know yeah. that you're not just an author who was given a book to write, but you're actually a fan.
3: Right. Well, I mean, people probably know me already from the book called The uh, Eric Carr Story that yep. came out about. I think it's close to almost ten years now that it came out. Yep. Yeah. So, people may know me about that. Uh, I mean, excuse me, people may know me from that. But I've been a KISS fan, though, since uh, 1977, 78. uh, When I was in kindergarten, a uh, gentleman who I was friends with at the uh, bus stop showed me his KISS trading cards. And I uh, became very um, interested in that. And then from there, my mother bought me uh, the first KISS record as a, a kindergarten graduation gift. And then my father was kind enough to take me to see KISS on the Dynasty Tour with Judas Priest opening up at Nassau Coliseum in September 1979. Then I kept uh, following Kiss. I kind of lost interest after The Elder. They kind of just lost me there for a little bit. But then I came back in full force for Look It Up. And then I went back in Her Creatures of the Night and was blown away. And uh, around 1984, I declared Kiss my favorite band again. So, <laughs> so what,
1: was your, what was your very first Kiss album, then?
3: Uh, the first one, the first Kiss album was the oh, first. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. That was the first one I got. And then I, the second one... Uh, I got double platinum for Christmas, and also Alive Two on eight track. Actually, I take that back. The second this is an interesting story. The second Kiss record was in the summer of '79. My mom got me Dynasty. She got it from the flea market, and whoever uh, sold it scratched or scratched the first song, which was, of course, I was I, I was made for loving you because I guess they hated the whole disco thing. And I remember I was uh, very upset because as a very young man, I actually knew that song, and I was very. Sad that the one song I knew on that album was all completely destroyed. So, looking back, I guess someone really people are that. strange. So, <laughs>
0: Greg, what were you before you saw that trading card? Were you aware of Kiss at all?
3: No, no, that was it. That was the I went from probably Star Wars directly to Kiss. So,
0: That's so, cool. so it was for you because we're always asking people, what was it that got you into Kiss? Mm. It was the visual that got you first. The first thing into KISS was like yes. my God, look at this on a trading card. This is a were, were you asking were you asking the guy, you know, like, is this a band? What do they do? What is this about? How did you start learning more about them at, back in kindergarten?
3: Yeah, he he had a um brother that was like one year older, so he kinda of filled him in and he had he had albums and stuff. He may have even played I'm trying to if he played me an album. I, I don't think so. To the best of my knowledge, I really just remember uh, hearing that album in I remember hearing the album and thinking that it sounded nothing like what I thought it that they would sound like just because I mean at that point, I didn't know anything about rock music or anything, so I right. probably expected them to sound like the village people or something because that's the only music that I heard at that or was uh, that I was familiar with at that point so um yeah, so it was definitely the visual side of kiss, which interestingly, then, as I got older, it's definitely more about the quality of the songwriting and the actual uh music of. Kiss and the look probably took a second i mean took took t- took a back seat. I mean now i I'm obviously probably I, well now I'm definitely listening to Kiss more than I am actually seeing them when I listen to spot listen to their albums on Spotify and things like that. Like, I'm not looking at a record cover even really anymore
0: so seventy nine is your first concert and and it's interesting, I mean. Your your timeline is similar to mine, although I think I'm a little older than you, but it was like 79. I didn't go to the concert. I've told this story before, but went to the in-store in 79, and that was sort of, in my mind, what cemented, you're a, you're a diehard fan. I was just hook, line, and sinker at that moment, even though I got my first album in 76, and started, you know, I watched the Paul Lynn special and, and fan kiss meets the phantom, but it was like in 79, it was just like hook, line and sinker into full deep kiss fandom obsessed with everything. Were you the same way at that point in time?
3: Yeah. I mean, kiss, uh, when I was younger, yeah, I I was definitely very, very into them when I was younger. And then, like I said, I lost a little bit of interest after the elder and then, uh, by, by late Um, 1983 I came back in and then by 84 was when I was ready to uh, say they were my favorite band again. Then honestly I lost a little bit of interest around 91-ish because then that's when I got into well I mean I started listening to all different music at that point and then um, it was uh, around 96 97 I went back and got all the uh, Kiss Remastered CDs and that's when I because I actually hadn't listened to them for like a few years I kind of just took a break and then when I went back and listened to it I was absolutely blown away because I forgot a lot about, I mean, I didn't forget about it, but I guess being older, too, I could also appreciate, like, Ace Frehley solos and everything like that a lot more than maybe when I was younger and didn't really understand music and things like that. So, Changes your yeah, no. perspective
1: of how you look at things.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, so since about 96, I've been listening to them, uh, yeah, from 96 through now, I've been listening to them pretty, pretty regularly.
1: So we had Stephen Roth on. Uh, three four weeks ago talking about your book and his and the publishing company that he works at so when did you get the idea to do this book because I think it's fantastic by the way guys we fully support this project. It's a great book, especially because it's non-makeup years, and it's that time that seems to be ignored now. So for all of you fans that love Lick It Up oh. through um, Revenge, or you can even say Carnival Souls to a lesser degree, this is the non-makeup years. What When did you get that idea to do that?
3: Uh, probably about a year and a half ago. I know from the feedback from the earlier book called The Eric Carr Story, um, It was great, great feedback from that. A lot of people got back to me saying thank you so much for uh, telling Eric's story and also for focusing on that era. And I don't know, I just kind of, um, I guess part of of me as a writer, I kind of have to do some research and take on topics I think are interesting, but not only interesting, that I think that also would appeal to a lot of people. And it seemed like over the past few years, uh, I could definitely get the feeling that there was a whole new resurgence in the interest of non-makeup Eric Kiss. Uh, what I talk about in the books forward is um, if you look at Spotify right now and Kiss's top 10 most played songs for them are the non-makeup era uh, yeah. songs. And I know that Bruce Kulik's, uh Kiss Cruise sets are very getting great feedback. Yeah. So that kind of, uh, yeah, is, I think between those two things, I kind of said, you know, the time is probably right right now to do that book. And also, of course, tying in with Kiss's Farewell Tour, there's a lot of focus on Kiss right now, so... I figured well, did, be a did, good did that Did you think
0: it was going to be a bit of a challenge just writing about the Unmasked era?
3: No, because I knew that there was a lot. There's um, a lot of material. You know, it'd be different if there was like one or two albums, but there's so many albums. Right. And uh, yeah, and it seems like it's a story that deserves to be told. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely happy to do it.
0: It's a story that, that deserves to be told. And it's a story that, uh, frankly, going back to the beginning, I don't think it has been told. You know, other than bits and pieces in other books mm-hmm. that cover Kiss's entire history, you know, but when they hit to the 80s, they seem to quickly gloss over it. And it's like, right. you know, one, one chapter and, and, and they're done. Um, you know, to, and, and it seems like, and tell me if you think this is the same, that since Kiss came back in makeup, They've pretty much ignored. I mean, yes, there's been an occasional 80s song. They've done Hide Your Heart and Crazy Nights and stuff like that. But for the right. most part, they, they the band, seem to gloss over the 80s as well. And it's only, and I sent, I sent an email basically saying this to, to Bruce this morning. I'm like, thank you for keeping 80s Kiss alive. Because right. Bruce, I think, has done more than anybody to keep yeah, 80's Kiss alive.
3: I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it all comes down to money. I mean, Kiss is gonna make the most money, I guess, doing the seventies songs, so they're not gonna make as much money doing a lot of songs off Carnival of Souls. But so, but guess. you
0: know, you're you're <clears throat> right. I mean, Carnival of Souls is 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 something no one's gonna want. But you know, <laughs> I think as we look back And, you know, this is always a topic of very heated debate amongst KISS fans. And taking your personal feelings aside, KISS was pretty freaking popular during the 80s. Absolutely. I mean, you you could go to every album in the 80s and there was at least one song that got pretty good airplay and MTV Mm -hmm. video play. I mean, lick it up off of the Look It Up album, Heaven's on Fire, Um, Tears Are Falling, Um, you know, Crazy, Crazy, Crazy Nights, Forever, Forever. Hide Your Heart. So, Uh um, you know, there's plenty of songs, in my opinion, that fans would know and would recognize. Mm -hmm. I almost wonder, do you think it has something to do with the fact that Paul can't sing those songs like he did back in the 80s because you know like you, you know one of the interesting parts because I jumped immediately to the crazy nights chapter because that's my old favorite <laughs> you album you know Ron talking about Paul singing so high higher hmm. than what he should be doing and what was natural but that was what was going on back then do right. you almost think that a lot of the 80s material they you just can't sing it anymore. I
3: mean, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, I think maybe overall the seventies material may be better known to like the casual kiss fan. Like if you stop like someone who maybe doesn't know that much about kiss, they're going to say rock and roll all night, Detroit rock city, maybe, but you know, they're not going to say, you know, crazy, crazy nights or, uh, Probably not, you know, like th- those, the, the, uh, you know, stuff from the, from, from but, the eighty. But, 80- but,
0: but don't you think that is driven by, and we see this all the time, when somebody came into the world of KISS. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who's been a fan like us since the 70s, that applies. But, you know, we always use the example, you know, Andy Beersack, Black Veil Brides, huge <laughs> KISS mm-hmm. fan. He wasn't right. introduced to, to Kiss until 1992.
3: Right. Yeah. The same with also Wednesday 13. Who I interviewed for the book. He said uh, he was introduced uh, to Kiss. Um, it was during the uh, non-makeup era. And how? Yeah. He, uh, we hear Jeff, we we hear favorite.
0: from fans all the time who are like, Yeah, I didn't. My first Kiss album was Asylum. My first Kiss concert was the Crazy Nights tour. That's when I right. discovered Kiss. And it's a little. Speaking for myself it's a little odd to try and comprehend that it's just like so that's what got you into it mm-hmm. not not the not the trading card the makeup the Paul Lynn special the oh my right. god shock and awe that was yeah, there well
3: well it's also Chris uh Jericho writes the uh right right writes the forward to the book and it was the heavens on fire video that actually got him started with Kiss so there is a whole there has to be a pretty big audience of people that, that I, I
0: yeah, I that, think there is a huge audience. I mean yeah. it it to the fact that there can be a book written just about that era, right, I think says something about there's an audience out there, and there's an audience and and going back to Bruce Kulick, I mean, you know, the Kiss Cruise just ended. and mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys saw, but you know, the set list he played on the Kiss
3: Cruise. Yeah. I was watching it today.
0: Phenomenal.
3: Right. Phenomenal.
0: Absolutely. It's just yeah. like, oh my God, that is that is the deep cut set list that me as a KISS fan mm. will take any day over what KISS performed later that night for their main show. It's like, uh uh-uh, I'm sorry guys, but you know, this is stuff that hasn't been played in decades.
3: I agree. Yeah. And also, Bruce, the singers in Bruce's band, I think, are absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal talent. Yes. He's got really in Todd band.
1: Kearns is amazing. Yes. Well, and also, too, I think that you have to think about the time frame, because it is hard for us to believe that that's when someone was introduced. But, you know, those videos in the 80s, that's the trading cards of the 70s.
3: Right. I agree. You and and people, people tend to forget Kiss with Gene and Paul were on Circus Magazine's cover and hit parade so. They were definitely sharing the covers with Motley Crue and Rat and Bon Jovi at that time. But something that I've always found very interesting, I talk a little bit in that, about in this book that's always kind of uh, hit me a little bit as being strange. How come Kiss had such big MTV hits that were probably played almost as much as your Bon Jovis and your Motley Crue's, but they tran- they were able to translate to short success, whereas those Kiss songs were, were never top ten hit singles. They were hits on MTV. Yeah. But they were never played on the radio, and they're never top ten.
0: That that that's interesting. And I've 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 commented about that a, a bit as well because I knew some people who worked for Mercury Records and Polygram back in the eighties, and you know one of them was just flat out. He's like, Mike, Kiss can't sell albums. They can't get radio airplay. They come into town and they'll do a show for twelve thousand people. Phenomenal mm-hmm. show. Right. And the next week, we'll sell 50 albums in that market. And they're just like,
3: yeah, it's yeah. so weird. Because, I mean, but also, with those albums in the 80s, they, to the best of my knowledge, all of them are at least gold, besides Carnival of Souls. All of right. them are right. at yep. least gold. And I, know, and I know several of them are platinum. I know uh, Crazy Nights is platinum. Uh, also, uh, Animal, I'm sure. Animalized? Yeah. I, I was going to say, isn't Animalized like, maybe double platinum? Possibly, because I know it was platinum back in '85, right? So yeah. by now, you would right. think it may be. yeah, but possible. Some, but
1: some of it, I think, is just age. They've already, they were already around the block once, mm-hmm. you know, and then they stayed the course, so it wasn't new like when the Bon Jovi came out or something like that. And right. you know, for all the great songs that Kiss has written, they've never written one of those epic Dirty Dozen. Songs that everybody wants to hear, because if you go to see cover bands now from the '80s, there's the Dirty Dozen, essentially that all of them have to pay if they play if they want to get a, a gig in a bar. And it's "Talk Dirty to Me" by Poison, "Pour a Little Sugar," "Pour Some Sugar on Me" by Def Leppard, "Living on a Prayer" for Bon Jovi, and onward. And Kiss just has never been in that. I, I really believe sometimes one or two songs can make that jump in record sales and the longevity in a different path than what Kiss has had. All
3: right. Well in, in the seventies they had that obviously with uh Rock and Yeah, yeah yep. but yeah in the eighties, yeah I can't yeah I mean probably most people do know uh Lick It Up. You know, I, I think but yeah but but honestly comparing Look It Up to like Living on a Prayer, I don't think it's I think definitely far more people know uh, the uh Bon Jovi song.
0: I, I yeah. you know and 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 I think a lot of it still has to do with even during the '80s, Kiss just was not given their the the respect they deserved. They were always seen as a bit of a not real band, not mm-hmm. real musicians. They're not of the caliber of these other bands, and and well, whether whether see, there was stuff left over from the '70s as well, yeah. where people in the industry were like yeah, you know, I didn't like him in the 70s, and I don't care what you're telling me in the 80s, I'm still not playing Kiss. They still yeah, suck. I mean, it,
3: because I think that may have been more from the aspect of the business, but I think as uh, from the from like critic, from critic critics, I think 80s Kiss critics took more seriously than in the 70s. Yes, I know I In agree. the 70s, if you look at some of the horrible reviews and like Rolling Stone and stuff, Kiss wasn't really that bad off with albums like Animal Eyes and also Asylum. I'm just thinking back to the reviews in circus and I think they were pretty much, they, they, I think they were taken more seriously critically in the eighties than, than in the seventies. But yeah, what was going on behind the c- scenes with record labels? I have absolutely no idea.
0: Yeah. It, it just, it, you just felt like, you know, we were there, we went from the seventies into the eighties, we saw the birth, you know, and I can tell you as a kiss fan, I couldn't have been more proud of my band Seeing them on MTV and the Top Ten Countdown all the time. Because they fit
1: in for the first because time. Because
0: it was like, yes, you're my band, and now everybody else is starting to recognize, everybody else as in the buying public, the, the concert goers are starting to accept you. Um, right. It was a, it, To me, that was what was really special about the 80s. It was, it was now me being able to sit back and go, yeah, my band made it. They survived the 70s. They survived they survived Dynasty, Unmasked, and The Elder. They survived right. that that trifecta, which could have killed any band. Yeah. And they came really out was... of it and exploded again.
3: Yeah, I mean, the only two bands I could think of that really had a dip in their popularity, but then were able to regain early Kiss and also Queen. I, I can't think yeah. of too many other bands that were so huge than totally bottomed out, and then at some point came back and are are very, very popular. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's probably several other bands, but the two that pop into my mind quickest is Kiss and Queen. Well, Hot
1: Space, which was their 82 release, that was their Elder for a lot of Queen fans.
3: What what happened was I went from Kiss being my favorite band to Queen in the early 80s, and it was just, like, gut-wrenching, that one-two punch of The Elder followed by also Hot Space. It was, like what the hell's going on here that my two favorite bands are just totally going completely off, off the rails directly into the cesspool. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah so, no,
0: that's, that's Greg, I mean, Greg did, did, did creatures of the night bring you back from the elder or were you still a bit lost on the outside when creatures was released?
3: I was still a little bit lost because at that point I was into like AC D C and Maiden and also Ozzy. So I was getting into like the heavy stuff. I remember seeing the I Love It Loud video and thinking that it was pretty cool. But what's funny is I just saw it one time. MTV only played oh, yeah. it one. I know. Right. I know. That, that was it. I I, you know? I,
0: I remember I mean yeah. it, the the again, timeline is so important here, but if you grew up in the MTV generation, I remember sitting in the The college common area at Normandale Community College, they had a giant screen TV in a room that did Mm. nothing but played MTV all day long, Uh and and students would just jam in there. And Mm. I remember going in there every every hour that I had available in hopes I was going to see a KISS video. (laughs) It's just like, I'm planting myself here in front of MTV because... I want to see a KISS video because, you know, back then, if you missed it, it wasn't coming back. It wasn't recorded. You couldn't go get it on demand. You know, there was nothing worse than than coming into a room and getting the last 10 seconds of that band you've been waiting to see and going, oh, son of a bitch. Now, Now I won't see him again.
3: Right. Well, the thing people forget, too, is the big thing back then was to, at the top of the hour, they would show the launching of the uh, shuttle. And that's when yep. they would tell you three you. bands that were going to be on. Yep. And I remember my uh, cousins and I were huge, huge ACDC fans. So we would always want to see if they're going to be playing <clears throat> ACDC. And it just so happens in the fall of 82, they said, and one of the bands was Kiss. And I remember it was the picture of them from Australia posing with the kangaroo. Right, I remember that that was the picture they used. And I and I remember sitting there with my cousins. And my cousins, too, like me, were huge Kiss fans. And at that point, just totally lost interest. And then, again, similar to me, got back into Kiss later. But I remember us watching that. And I, I think we all... I mean, I, I definitely liked it. My, my cousins may not have been that as impressed as me. But, um, yeah, it, for some reason, it didn't inspire me, though, to go buy Creatures of the Night right then. It wasn't until really... What happened was in the summer of 1983, I went back and listened. I I got my first Sony Walkman. So then I was into making like mixtapes and stuff, and I still had my KISS records. So I went back and I was like, oh, you know, let me just you know check out some of the I talk about this in the book too. Let me go back and hear how like Alive Two holds up to like Iron Maiden Peace of Mind. And I was very impressed with how I still liked Rock and Roll Over and Destroyer and all those albums. So it was in the summer of 83. And I remember thinking like, oh, I just wish that Kiss would get back to this sound not knowing that Creatures of the Night was already them what, getting back. What, what that was now.
0: that? Yeah, you know, and we, we've said this many times that um, Creatures of the Night, no question, phenomenal album. It's, yeah, it's an top incredible top album by Kiss. Mm-hmm. But back then, when it was released, mm. it went nowhere. It got no attention. Nobody cared about it because mm. it was riding on the coattails of dynasty unmasked elder and and and, and i'm not and i don't want people to think i'm throwing dynasty at the same level as the elder but that was a three album period right where if you were a kiss fan in the 70s things changed pretty drastically over those three albums where you you were questioning your devotion you were checking out, you were leaving, you were tired of being ridiculed and embarrassed for liking right. the band. So, you know, I could understand how, you know, you checked out with The Elder and Creatures just wasn't even on your radar because as KISS fans back then, for lack of a better statement, KISS was dead in the U.S.
1: They were yeah,
0: dead. Yeah. yeah,
1: But also too, also, too, though, like if you take – Queen is an example. Dynasty is as bad as The Elder in the respect that it drove a lot of fans away, and then they followed it up with Unmasked, which drove even more people away, and then they put The Elder out, which pretty much got rid of almost everybody. At (laughs) least Queen, they put out The Game in 1980, and then they do a live album after that, then they put out The Hot Space in 82, everyone's like, what the fuck? And then they come back in 84 with The Works, and you hear Hammer to Fall and Radio Gaga, which was a huge hit, and all the Queen fans weren't gone long enough to have forgotten right. about that.
3: Whereas well, I the kiss it, yeah, people were. Yeah, it with it was the game greatest hits, then it was Hot Space. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah,
1: I knew there was something in between.
3: Yeah, but you know, but with but with but with Queen though, the problem with that is that they stopped touring the US. So Hot Space was the last time they toured the US. So they didn't tour the US for uh, works so the works did do well but then the next album which is a, a kind of magic that peaked at like 50 or something yeah so i so while they were still huge in england and playing like huge football stadiums and stuff like that here they they weren't as popular as they once were but i think they weren't as they weren't as hated as kiss was in 1980 you know that you couldn't wear like a kiss shirt in public without being someone saying that <laughs> no. uh it sucks kiss you know? sucks wait, wait, wait well, you know, well I, I want to ask you a question. Backing up with something you said earlier, when you were waiting in your uh, in your college to see the "I Love It Loud" video, did you actually see it at college on that TV screen? I think I saw it once. Because it, yeah, because then I was going to ask. I was curious. What was what were the college students' reaction to that? that they, to they they the
0: they they didn't and... care. I was oh, okay. probably yeah. the only person who cared. You know, <laughs> so every, you see this? It's kiss. Every, yeah, yeah, every, yeah, yeah. everybody else was. And again. <laughs> I hate using this saying over and over, but timeline was everything back then in the, in the early eighties, the evil enemy to kiss was all of this new keyboard synthesizer rock that was coming out of Europe. And you know, now, now I will be the first to raise my hand and go, I secretly loved it back then. And I love (laughs) it now, but back then publicly, I had to hate it because it was filling MTV and everything was all about keyboards and synthesizers and all this right. other stuff and i'm like where's my kiss where's right. the other metal bands where's where's sticks where's these other right. bands that i <laughs> that i grew up loving right. and they you know, went off
1: the rails too jesus christ mr roboto
0: <laughs> well you know i i think you know i love sticks and <laughs> and i i love the guys in the band but I mm-hmm. think Styx was one of those bands that from the 70s, when you moved into the MTV era, they mm-hmm. didn't quite have the looks. The mm-hmm. the You know, they didn't look young, fit, and sexy. Right. You know, what the- you saw all these bands coming out of the 70s that still had mustaches and beards. Right. And, and, you know, the outfits were all over the place. And you're just like, your music is great, but boy, it's... We can't watch this. We can't look yeah. at you. I mean, what Mark, Mark commented about Uriah was Uriah Heap. Heap.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Um, one
1: of the things that we talk about a lot here on the show is, is that we have a lot of listeners that we've discovered over the years that have a passion for the band, obviously, or they wouldn't waste their time on something like this. But they have a dream. A lot of them have a dream of doing business with the band, or or making a Kiss product, or something along those lines. There's a lot of people who would love to do a fanzine magazine, or even better yet, a book. Mm-hmm. So, what I'd like to know for, from you, as an author, when you start this project, like when you got the idea, hey, I'm going to do a non-makeup era Kiss book. How do you, how do you start? How do you research and how do you piece it together to start to formulate it? What what it is going to eventually become things you can give advice to people that maybe still have a passion that would like to do something like this?
3: Sure. Well, you know, I'm lucky because every book I've ever done has been about a topic or a subject that I felt very passionately about. I'm a huge fan of Shannon Hoon, the late singer of the band Blind Melon. That was one of my favorite. That was one of my first books. I've done books on uh, Queen. Primus, Meat Puppets, uh, Eric Carr story, uh, a book about '90s uh, metal called *Survival of the Fittest*. I did a book.
2: With,
3: yeah, I did yeah, Shredders. I did a book about also Yacht Rock recently. Uh, I did book with Thumbs also Yacht Rock man. Yeah. I did a book earlier this year with also King X called *King X: The Oral History*. So every book I've ever done, it's been a band that I uh, was a huge fan of. So. I pretty much knew all of their stories, pretty much back and forwards, because like that's the thing: is back in high school, I'll be honest, I didn't really have much of a social life. I uh, would rather sit in my room and analyze Kiss and also Iron Maiden lyrics rather than going out with my friends. So uh, I guess that kind of antisocial behavior later has served me well, because now I can tell you every month and year a Kiss album came out in the '70s. So uh, I've been able to, I've, I have been able to use that to my advantage. As far as like the projects, I mean, with with this one, I could pretty much tell you the Kiss story now in my sleep because i you know I've, I keep reading every <laughs> book that comes out. you know i, I I'm always hunting um, <clears throat> YouTube for any kind of new video that may be surfacing of a vintage performance. so I'm always and, and also listening to podcasts and things. so I pretty much knew the story. I, it was really with with this book, I just had to find a way to make it cohesive, so I came up with an idea that there're 12 you can make the argument that there're 12 non-makeup era releases um here in the US so i knew that those 12 albums i was going to have a chapter for each album okay and, yeah and for each chapter it's uh two it's first a album overview written by me then it's two all new um <clears throat> interviews for each uh album pertaining to the album so it had it's someone that is was either a fan of the album or someone that actually Played or wrote or wrote songs or actually produced the album. Then from there we uh, ha- we, sp- we speak to Kurt Gooch who's the co-author of Kiss Alive Forever, the book. He talks about each uh, Kiss tour, like what what made that tour unique, the set list, and everything like that. And then after that, there's like one or two little kind of um, bonus things. Like we talk about like there's Ron Keel talking about how Gene was as a producer. There's uh, Michael Angelo Batio from the band Nitro yep. uh, talking about each KISS guitarist. There's Bruce Kulick <laughs> talking about uh, all the different instruments that KISS used during the 80s. I interviewed Martin Popoff, who's a pretty well-known uh, yes. rock writer. He, yeah, we, we, we go from 1983 through, through 1996. He picks out three of the top metal releases that uh, were not KISS. And he talks about those three releases and how they stack up to Kiss. So you kind of get an idea of what I found
0: that 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 was very interesting when when he did that because I'm like, that's an interesting take to see how each Kiss release fell into what was happening that year. Because you know, good or bad, I think we can pretty much agree that during the '80s, Kiss wasn't setting the trends kiss was chasing no, the trends they were chasing, was, the yeah, they were yeah, chasing sure. everything so if right. it was quiet riot if it was motley crew if it was bon jovi def leppard anybody right. they they were one step behind all of these bands at all times during the 80s right i
3: mean you could say that uh, the first sign of that was although lick it up is my favorite non-makeup ever uh, uh kiss album the drum sound from Creatures to look it up. Suddenly they go for a quiet riot motley crew, like a very tight drum sound. They didn't continue with the John Bonham drum sound of Creatures, which is what I love so much about Creatures. So yeah, I mean, you could say starting from there is when they started. The, and the, and the
0: and, and of course with the with Vinny Vincent and then Mark St John and Bruce Kulick, the whole guitar sound of Kiss was updated to the eighties.
3: Right. Well, the, the reason why I think Bruce Kulick, I'm such a fan of his, is he knew when to shred and also not yep. to shred. I mean, the uh, tears are falling solo is great. The forever solo is great, and I also like the no, no, no solo that starts it I off. I love with that. The- yeah. So, so I mean, he, 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 like whereas Vinnie Vincent was all just about shredding at 100 miles per hour, Bruce at least knew when to step on the brakes. You know, yep. and he definitely offered some more tasteful melodic solos, I think. <laughs>
1: But that was a, But you did a great job answering that question because just that piece about, okay, you knew there were 12 releases of non-makeup, so you had 12 chapters, and you start to build that way. Right. What other advice can you give to somebody who may want to write a book or do something like that to, you know, obviously do your research? Sounds like you spend a lot of time online looking for material to add to your whatever project you're working on. What else can you offer up?
3: I'd say, I mean, it, w- are you saying that this is a, a book about KISS or just a book about... Yeah, like,
1: I'm guessing it would be a book about KISS.
3: Well, it just I would say do a little bit of research and make sure that it's not uh, something that's been done to death. I mean, a book that's just about the history of KISS, that's been done several times. So uh, that probably you could just mark off. But if there's like a certain maybe aspect or angle similar to a like niche. what I did. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like that would probably uh, be, I mean, maybe a book about... The Tommy Thayer, Eric Singer era of KISS, like that hasn't really been done. So that could be a possibility, you know,
0: a book, um, a book about all of the music videos that KISS has released.
3: <laughs> well, that's actually in the book. That well, is a, that is a yeah, part. In and, the yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. There, there is at the end a whole <laughs> list of all the videos. But imagine if you did a book this big. All
3: right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I did go very book. deep. You know, it's I, I did a, an earlier book called uh, it is called MTV Ruled the World: The Early Years of Music Video, and I interviewed Bruce for that book too. And uh, there's a chapter in that book about Kiss unmasking, which I then reused in this book. So uh, yeah, but that 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 book uh, delves a little bit deeper into the Kiss videos and things like that. But um, you know, but that would also be a pretty interesting book too, just to read the because I mean the '80s Kiss videos are absolutely works of art. <laughs> yeah
0: uh, you know well, so most well, most
3: bands during the 80s you yeah no, no, you, you know it's,
0: it's, we we right. look we look back yeah. now and feel right. embarrassed but i remember yeah. during the 80s going that is so freaking cool seeing paul stanley yeah. swinging over a volcano right.
3: <laughs> now i will tell you a, a a friend of mine posted a video today from the band zebra and i couldn't yep. make it past the first 30 seconds but while i'm watching it it was totally acceptable at the time yeah so you're watching these Kiss videos. Now they're, they're admittedly very, very hard to sit through. But at the time, there was nothing odd about them. No, nope, not these, at all. sex video, now it's like staring into the sun. You're like, ah. But <laughs> I
0: mean, we, 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 every Kiss fan jokes about the Asylum-era costumes and how right. hideous they were. And it's like, yeah. yeah, from 2019 looking back to 1985, they're freaking hideous. But if you right. were there in 1985... That was absolutely normal for what was going on. Ozzy well, Osbourne was dressed like that, right? Absolutely.
3: And then someone's—I'm a huge fan of the David Lee, David Lee Roth "Eat 'Em and Smile" album, yep. and, uh, yeah. and and you can say that uh, also. David Lee Roth is dressing just like Paul Stanley in
0: 1985.
3: Yep. Yep. So,
1: yeah. yep. Yeah. Well, so so of all your research, what was the one thing you learned about the band that surprised you the most?
3: Well, the interview I did with Mitch Weissman, who co wrote a bunch of Kiss songs over the years, he, he had some really interesting things to say. I didn't know that he had such a hand in selecting the photo that became the Lick It Up album cover. Yep. He tells an interesting story that he was over at Paul Stanley's apartment in Manhattan, and they were all on, they were all, um, Paul was on his phone, I guess, in his living room. Uh, Mitch was on his phone in his bathroom, which is something interesting. I didn't know Paul Stanley had a uh, phone in his bathroom. That's an interesting little tidbit. <laughs> And they were speaking to Gene, who was, I guess, at, uh, at you know, his own apartment. And um, they were looking, they had all the photos of the photo session uh, all on the floor and all the tables trying to pick out what was going to be selected. And it, I interestingly found out that Gene, that, uh, excuse me, Vinny is wearing a wig in that photo shoot. Yep. And Vinny and Eric are standing on boxes or also phone books to make them the same height as Gene and Paul. And uh, But what I didn't know is it was, it was supposedly Mitch Weissman that told them you got to go with this photo because what ties the old kiss with the, with this new kiss that you want to do, it's you sticking out your tongue. Jean's so he's tongue. the one you have to choose. Yeah. So yeah. that was interesting. I, I had no idea about that. And something else that I found interesting, this is another little, cause the thing too, with these books, what I try to do, and this is something else, this ties to your earlier, earlier question with all my books, I try to appeal to the longtime fans. So I'm going to try to, putting little tidbits that will be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that before. But then I'm also trying to get people that are either new to the subject or just discovering it, a little bit of background or things that people know already. But um, so what what I did with this book to try to give kind of a unique spin is in the 80s, there was a lot of misogynistic lyrics in metal music. And and, and I interviewed Catherine Terman, who is a co-author of a great book called uh, Louder Than Hell, which is... The oral history of metal, and I asked her about because uh, because yeah, Gene uh, Simmons had some really bad lyrics in the eighties, like "Burn, bitch, burn." <laughs> yes, and, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and also the song uh, "Dance All Over Your Face." Yeah. So I so I just asked her about that, but, but you know, again, we're talking about time and place. Uh, time for some reason in the eighties, that was somewhat accepted in metal because you had uh, "It's So Easy" by Guns and Roses. You had "Live Wire" by Motley Crue and several other uh, bands. And then of course, rap music, uh, I mean, obviously not like all of rap music, but there's definitely to this day, quite a bit of rap music that has misogynistic lyrics in it. So it wasn't just Kiss, but you know, right. we, uh, you know, talk a little bit about that and, uh, that's also so, a, so, uh, so
0: let's part. sort of follow the album release timeline here. Um, starting with Lick It Up, what, got you back into the band for the lick it up release did you hear the song first did you see the unmasking
3: did you see the music video no it was well you know it's funny because i wanted to uh, uh, point out something before you said that you watched the paul in special and you saw kiss meets the phantom you saw the unmasking back before the internet i to this day don't know how people found out when these things were on tv i missed Seeing Kiss meets the Phantom. I remember going to the bus stop the next morning, and they're like, "Oh my God, did you see this Kiss movie?" I'm like, "Kiss movie? I don't, what, what are you talking about?" And then also the same thing with Kiss Unmasking. My friends like, "Oh, did you see Kiss? They were on. They were on last night, and they didn't have their makeup on." I was like, are "You kidding me?" Because back then, I don't know, they didn't really do as ba- ba- good. At, yeah, really-
0: ba- back then, I mean, <laughs> again, timeline. You had mm-hmm. to get this little TV guide. You either right. bought the TV guide magazine subscription right. or every Sunday, the Sunday newspaper came with a a smaller local TV guide that you would pull out that would yep. list everything. But here's right. the thing. You would literally have to read through every page of every day of every listing of every hour to see right. who is going to be the guest on Saturday Night Live, who's going to right. be the guest on Entertainment Tonight. And, you know, frankly, as a kid, that was the last thing I was worried about was reading every single entry. So to your point, you're you're exactly right. Unless your best friend or your in my case, a lot of times it would be my mom or my dad who would be like, oh, mm. by the way, did you uh, did you know that Kiss is going to be on TV tonight?
3: And I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah they're
0: going to be on blah, blah, blah at eight o'clock. I'm like, oh, all right. Everybody get away. The TV set's mine. You know? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I remember the same thing was uh, Peter Chris being interviewed without makeup in late 1980. Like the next day, my friend was like, oh, did you see Peter Chris?" There was a local show called here in New York called Live at Five, which I think you can see currently online. I think someone posted it. And I was like, no, I, I had no idea he was going to be on TV. He's like, oh, yeah, he was on without makeup talking about his new solo album. And I was like, oh, no. again, I didn't and, know and, that. And, and when you
0: missed it, you pretty much figured you were never going to yeah. see yeah. it again. Exactly. Again, there was no on-demand. There was no videotaping. There was none yeah. of that stuff. It was like YouTube, you it was were, absolutely you, no you, way. Yeah, YouTube you were it. either yeah. there to catch it, or you completely right. missed it and right. exactly. f- thought it was gone forever. Well, right. Even That's for that right.
1: in-store in '79, I came back to school the next day and was telling some people about it, and they all thought I was a big liar. Right. <laughs> you right. didn't eat Kiss. They weren't at a record store. I am like, right.
3: right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because even the same, my same friend who showed me those Kiss cards the first day of school i'm like oh yeah you know i I just saw kiss in concert the other day he's like not bullshit you didn't and then when when my my dad dropped me off at his house and my dad was able to confirm that i did in fact see and meanwhile that makes no sense because i actually had a kiss tour book so i'm showing him the kiss tour book i guess that wasn't a good enough uh proof that i saw kiss on the dynasty tour (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy <laughs> but uh yeah but to get back to your question about uh when I got back into Kiss around look it up it was uh pretty much in the summer of 83 me rediscovering the old Kiss albums and then me saying you know I really wish Kiss would get back to this heavy heavy sound of, uh, again like I said earlier not knowing that Creatures of the Night was that already happening but uh I remember watching and I talk about this in uh, the uh forward of this book here um I remember one of the one of the VJs on MTV saying, and stay tuned because we're going to show the Kiss Look It Up video and I actually did finally catch a break once. And I sat there and watched it and I really liked it a lot. And like the next week or whatever, I went out and I bought it. And so
0: was- were, were you did you know they were out of makeup at that point in time or was that the first time you also discovered they took the makeup off?
3: No, I think probably a friend. I remember knowing that they. You know, honestly, I, if I I can't remember exactly, and I usually have a fantastic memory for this type of stuff, but if I had to guess, maybe a friend or maybe my cousins who were the big heavy metal fans I mentioned before. Maybe they mentioned to me, oh, I think Kiss took off their makeup for their new album, or or I last night I saw Kiss taking off their makeup on on the. But you had
0: the, you hadn't seen them without makeup and, until uh, no, you watched the video. Uh, so what was your first reaction when you saw them out of makeup
3: yeah well I, I thought paul stanley looked just like he did with makeup on um vinnie vincent i wasn't that familiar with but he he also looked pretty similar too because his makeup design you know you could see his eyes yeah. and everything so it's not it's really covering him uh, i thought gene simmons looked absolutely nothing like he looked with the makeup on and eric didn't really couldn't really make i couldn't really make heads, heads or tail i mean i I was familiar with his makeup, but I, I I think Paul and Vinny looked the most like they looked without the makeup. But, I mean, I w- and again, I talk about in the book that at the time, that was like a really cool video because it was like uh, a recreation of Escape from New York kind of. Yeah, well, it-
0: you got to remember back then, Mad Max was a big deal. Right. So, so you know, it was that, that you know, cities in ruins thing that right. was all the rage across right. every band was doing that
3: <laughs> Right, exactly yeah so I mean again time and place that was a, a very cool video especially for someone like me that was just about to become a uh, teenager
0: oh we lost Tommy for a reason we'll keep going he comes <laughs> he'll come back in um, okay. uh, so you know I remember when I got the Lick It Up album you know I knew it was coming out I knew the day it was going to be released um I knew it was going to be no makeup, and I remember getting the cover, and just staring deeply at it, going, "This is Kiss," mm. in no costumes, no boots, no makeup, no anything. Did you have that same sort of reaction of just like a bit of shock and awe?
3: No, because at that point I must have seen the video a few times because that video, unlike the "I Love It Loud" video, MTV all did over. play look it up video a lot, so. That I did see. So at that point, I was I, I was kind of familiar. And I may have seen them in, like, Kerrang! magazine also at that point or something like that. So, I, it, well, I don't know, it, it, it's weird, because when I was younger, like, I would actually sit and stare at, like, you know, the Love Gun album or the um, Live 2 album and everything like that. But, yeah, the, the Lick It Up album didn't really hit me like that, like an album, like, I should really study the cover or anything like that. Because besides the cover, it was kind of like a blob back cover and... And to the best of my knowledge, it didn't include like any it oh, that didn't include a poster or anything. Yeah,
0: no, no poster. It yeah. was it was there was it looks like here's Tommy's back. Right. Um yeah, you know, the lick it up the album was very bland for lack of a right. better term, other than the fact that there's this picture of the four guys in kiss with no makeup. But in right. a in a sense, and I think that's clearly what they were going for. That was the only statement that they needed to make on that album was, "This is us in no makeup." After after ten years, this is what we look like.
3: And yeah, that, that I mean, was
0: pretty big for a diehard Kiss fan.
3: Yeah, I mean now looking back, I think they probably did make that uh, album like not that exciting. I mean, well, the, the cover was exciting, but everything else, I think they wanted really just the focus to be on the band and also the music, with nothing else. Yep. So maybe that was what they were going for with that.
0: So, and and I'm glad Tommy's back cuz we usually save this question for the very end, but I mm. think it's appropriate for where we're talking about lick it up, and especially cuz this is all about unmasked kiss. Um do you think Vinnie Vincent saved kiss or what do you think? Saved Kiss in the 80s.
3: I mean, I wouldn't say that he single-handedly saved them, but he played a huge, huge role, though. I mean, you could say what you want about Vinny, but there, you, can't, you can't deny that he's an extremely talented songwriter.
0: Very, very true. Very
3: talented songwriter. And he's a very underrated singer, too. When he made that uh, appearance when he came out of hiding and he did the um, acoustic songs and he was singing... I I think I even mentioned it in this book. I mean, I I wish the Vinnie Vincent albums, he didn't, number one, he didn't shred nonstop. And I think that those albums would have been better if actually he just sang them, personally.
0: I I remember when those albums came out, I was disappointed that he he wasn't singing on them. I was like, and and I don't know why I would have expected him to, because he had really not done anything at that point to indicate he could sing. But I just sort of was like, uh, I really kind of wish Vinny would have sung on him. And, and and years on now, after we've heard demos and other things, I, I agree. I mean, first of all, yeah, no question about his songwriting ability, but mm-hmm. I wish he would have sung more.
3: Right. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I think he's a good singer. I think he should have sung more as well. I I think that also Eric Carr was a good singer too. I would have liked to have heard him sing more besides just uh, the song called Little Caesar. But,
0: but do you think, and, and we've posed this question before, if the Lick It Up album came out, same songs, same mm. band members, but they still had makeup and costumes on, would it have taken off? Would it have started the momentum for them that got them through the 80s?
3: No, I don't think so. Actually, Paul Stanley has a great quote. I think it was in one of his books, if I'm not mistaken, where he says at that point, people were, I think it was listening with their eyes is pretty much what they were doing and, and I, I totally think he's right with that with that point they they had they had to try something new at that point because the uh, makeup and the costumes were just It ran its course but what's funny is it ran its course but then right at that point then you have merciful fate, motley crew and also wasp coming out exactly
0: you've got everybody else coming out with makeup yeah. and you know yeah. as, as a but it was a-
1: fresh and different so right. then the other argument we've had on the on the show a lot too discussion wise is that okay so let's say dynasty unmasked and and, uh the elder never happened perhaps if they would have gone from the solo albums right to a creatures type record maybe not creatures but a creatures type record where it was a hard rock sound then they would have probably maintained a lot more fans and therefore it would have been able to run its course a lot longer
3: well i mean if 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 you could completely they, they call it um Monday, they call it Monday quarterbacking, which is like now you look back. So if I can do that for a second, if I could change the course of of, you know, Kiss's history, I would say don't do four solo albums. Take the four solo albums and make one really good Kiss album out of those four solo albums. That would be the first thing to do. Second, second thing is don't do uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom. Uh, Next thing is, I mean, Dynasty personally, I think is a good album. I I think Dynasty can stay as it. it is. Yeah. I mean, but I Dynasty, just have heard yeah. from
1: so many fans that said, This is it. When Dynasty came out and I heard I was made for loving you, I was done.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know, like, for the, the same guy I'm talking about, uh, the person that showed me his kiss cards who had the older brother who liked kiss, I remember Dynasty, he was absolutely done at that point. Yeah. So that just totally, I guess, just that because uh, Kiss was considered such a kiddie band at that point. Yep. They just figured, Oh, now they just totally lost their way, which. Admittedly, they did for the next few albums, but yeah. So I can kind of see that. I could see.
0: That. I, I, you know, I would, I would tend to think that creatures and lick it up and what came after all that may not have happened without Kiss bottoming out. You know, there's well, yeah, always think, that saying yeah. that you've got you've got to go to rock bottom before right. you realize what you've got, what you've done wrong, and what you've got to do to fix it. We got creatures because of the elder.
3: Yeah, well and I think,
0: unmasked.
3: Yeah, I I believe I believe actually Gene has said that in the past. He said that creatures was a reaction against that. And and then also just to finish my point before, so if you maybe had dynasty but or if you maybe had creatures instead of dynasty and you know, but then again, there's all other different things, like of course Peter Chris and Ace really being bad off with drugs at that point, And th- those guys wanted to do solo albums and, you know, things. And I remember there's a great quote from uh, Gene in an old kiss video where he said that his ego had take on Mach- Machiavellian proportions or something. I remember yeah. it was his quote. Yeah. So, I mean, there were all these different and then, and then Gene going off with wanting to do movies later. So th- th- there's all different things that uh, I think derailed kiss. You can't really put it on just, just them going disco or just them doing the elder. Several different things yeah
0: yeah it it's 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 the albums, it's success, it's money, mm-hmm. it's thinking you can do anything and right. not fail you right. know it's it's a s it's a typical story when you think about it for any artist who's achieved that level of success right. um they've all had that moment somewhere in their career where they they lost their focus and something mm-hmm. had to happen. To kick them in the ass to come back, and this is what I'm about, right? Um, so mo- moving from Lick It Up to Animalize, I felt Animalize really took off, is where the band mm-hmm. really took off. Lick It Up got them back established. Stop the slide, so to speak. Stop, stop them from falling into obscurity forever. Look it up. Stop that. It was a great album. It had to have great songs on it, but they also had to take the makeup off in order to get rid of the stereotype that had been dumped on Kiss for the previous decade. But it was with it was with um, Animal Eyes that I, as a Kiss fan, felt like. Wow, they're really exploding now. And and for me, it was because all of a sudden I remember Tommy and I grew up in, in Minneapolis. So the big rock station, KQRS, you know, they would they didn't touch anything from Lick It Up. They didn't touch creatures. They didn't touch anything. I mean, they were all about Bob Dylan, the doors, you know, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, stuff like that. But I remember KQRS going, we're going to have the world premiere of the new Kiss song, Heaven's on Fire, this Friday night on their metal show. But still, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, my God, what, what's going on? The major rock station is world premiering a new Kiss song. Right. Nothing like that had ever happened before. Prior to well that. it was
3: yeah it, it was it was with that album that then Kiss is on circus magazine uh, the, the cover of circus magazine every month and that's when they uh, I think started carving out their niche truly for the remainder of the 80s
0: yeah I think I think animalize probably established that they were back that yeah that, you know sure. they, they they did they basically did counting creatures they did three great albums creatures lick it up Animal Eyes. as a kiss fan. You can argue all you want that it's not Ace, it's not Peter, it's not the classic Kiss guitars, but those were three great hard rock albums.
1: Yeah, I agree. People could trust them again,
0: mm-hmm. and you know? and and it brought them back into um, sold-out arena shows. Basically, on the Animalized tour, I mean, Heaven's on Fire was a big enough hit for MT on MTV that you know, KISS was playing to 10,000 people again versus right. Creatures, they were playing to 5,000 people. Lick It Up was a little better, but Lick It Up still wasn't... If I recall, Lick It Up wasn't a sold-out show in Minneapolis. It was better than uh. Creatures, but it, there was still, I think, a little bit of apprehension as to, oh, okay, it's KISS. Mm. But, you know, they won everybody back on Lick It Up. Animalize was that's it they're they're up there playing with the big boys again.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that that album definitely put them back at the uh top. I mean, as far as like the 80s go. Of course, they were never at the top top as like Bon right. Jovi and also Def right. Leppard and also Van Halen, but they were as I'd say Animalize is probably as big as they as they ever were in the 80s.
0: Yeah, they yeah. they 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 were at least running with the big boys. Let's put it that yeah. way. They weren't Absolutely. they weren't leading the pack, but they were running in the pack. Right, I agree. Um, which which again, you know, three years earlier, there was a question whether the ban was even going to exist again because right. it was so bad.
3: Right, I agree. Because because in the book I talk about that actually, some people think that Asylum is considered a bit of a failure compared to uh, its predecessor, <clears throat> Animal Eyes. But I just said what you just said, which is three, three or four years ago, if you told Kiss you'd have a gold album, a hit on also MTV, they would have totally signed up for that. So you can't really say that Asylum was a, was a failure from that standpoint. And, and but It's and... interesting
1: you bring that up, though, because I remember people talking about how big of a disappointment it was at the time, and I couldn't figure out why.
3: mm it's interesting. I just the other day spoke with uh, Chris Jericho and also uh, Eddie Trunk, and they both said that, I believe, if I remember correctly, that Asylum is their favorite uh, non Makeup era hits album.
0: You know, I'll, I, and, and, and
3: I'll, I'm going to go on record saying that it, it is definitely not mine. But <laughs> but there seems to be a whole new following behind that album. I think a whole new re appreciation of that album.
0: I I agree. It's it's not my favorite '80s album. Mm. crazy nights is that for me but i Mm -hmm. think kiss asylum and we've said this a number of times is a very underrated album Mm. because for the most part people judged it by the costumes not by the music and they judge it by the cover which that cover took a lot of heat good or bad (laughs) it took a lot of heat but if if you just listen to the music Kiss Asylum is a heavy album. Heavy. Yeah. I I I, remember, I distinctly remember when I got it and the first time I played it. I'm like, wow, this actually kind of has a 70s Kiss feel to
3: it. For the first
0: time mm-hmm. in many years.
3: Yeah, I could see that. And I think it was also wasn't it the last Kiss album of the 80s that used somewhat real sounding drums? After that, it was all fake drums. Thinking of crazy nights and also yeah
0: probably you started going into the drum machines and the yeah, electronic drum drums systems. and
2: yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah um so real quick let's back up to animalize was there one thing in your research of the animalize era that you discovered that you didn't know about
3: offhand though no, but hang on a second let me uh take a quick uh gander um yeah, i'm trying to th- I kind of knew most of the Animal Eyes because, I mean, at that point, Kiss was so covered in Circus Magazine and also all, all the magazines. That was actually the chapter where I interviewed Mitch Weissman, so he uh, talks a little bit about that. Um, he just talks a little bit about how, oh, I, I, something interesting I learned from Mitch also about Animal Eyes is that uh, supposedly it was Mitch that told Paul Stanley, uh, at the beginning of the song Heaven's on Fire when Paul Stanley does that kind of like Yodeling thing. Right. That was a vocal warm up that he would that he was doing, and he just happened to be doing that, and they taped it. And he told he told Paul Stanley you should put that at the beginning of the song.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And 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 that to me is the, the trademark of that song.
3: It is. I agree. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, uh, one thing that I've told Mitch uh, Weissman is he should really consider doing a uh, book because he was he was just overflowing with great story after great story and he besides Kiss is he has ties to Aerosmith. Uh, he was in of course Beatlemania. So he has yep. great, great stories about a wide variety of yeah, so I, I think he should consider doing a book at some point.
0: Now we we move to KISS Asylum, which okay, they're 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 at their peak so far in the eighties because of Animalize. Kiss Asylum comes out and visually you know even back then visually it was it was different for kiss mm. um sonically as i said earlier it was a awesome album um what what do you think happened during you know cuz the Asi- the asylum album didn't in my opinion explode like um Animalized did, even though no. Asi- Asylum had Tears Are Falling, which became a big hit. I mean, that was all over MTV as well. What? But what do you what do you think happened? You know, in the Asylum era, that they didn't keep moving upward.
3: Uh, it seems like I mean I know there's people that are going to totally disagree with me because I just said before people like uh, Eddie Trunk list Asylum as one of the best Kiss albums. That, for me, I think is when KISS started to pad their albums a bit with some uh, filler material. I mean, you could say that people who think Asylum is a great album, fine, they could say that. But from that album on, it seems like there were maybe only two or three songs in an album that they would really even play live on the supporting tour. And the rest were songs that were never even attempted live. So that, 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 to me, shows me that they weren't even taking all the material as seriously as they were maybe back in the 70s. Or with albums like Creatures of the Night, you could picture... Any of those songs being played live because they were of such high quality. Do you, I think from. Go oh, ahead. Sorry, guys. Go, no, go uh, ahead. So I think from probably from maybe half of Animalize or definitely from Asylum onward, you could say that their albums start getting padded with uh, filler until, I guess, Revenge.
0: Do you do you think that? And I and I agree with what you're saying. Do you think that was a, a result of? Gene having checked out of the band and essentially it's become the Paul Stanley band and Paul's got to drive everything and champion everything and his partner from the last 10 years doesn't really want to be there.
3: Yeah, that has a a big part to do with it. Also, uh, people tend to forget that Kiss is cranking out a new studio, studio album every single year. So they only had touring, then they have just a few months to get a whole album together. So whereas if maybe they waited two years, then they would have better quality material. But that theory gets shot down, and I talk about it in the book, with the Crazy Nights album, because they took two years to do that album, and that album was also padded with filler as well. Same with also Hot in the Shade. They had two al- two years between Crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade. And that album maybe has the most filler, I think, than maybe any Kiss album. So,
0: And and, and again, you you got to wonder how much of that is the result that they're wasn't Gene in the picture to help. I mean, you know, the, the Crazy Nights chapter talks about how, you know, you asked Ron about, um, you know, the songwriting process, and and Paul wrote specific songs and brought in basically finished songs. Gene just threw Ron, here's 20 songs that I've done. Right. Yeah. And, and it felt like throughout the 80s, and tell me if you, you think this is true – Gene was just, for lack of a better term, vomiting up songs. It's just like, Bleh. all right, burn, bitch, burn. Let me put my log in your fireplace. There's a lyric. And right, yeah, n- right. Not not thinking, is that a good lyric? Is that the best right. lyric? No, here's just crap that was being thrown out. Right. And, and in some instance, I imagine there was some discussion or agreement between Gene and Paul that even though Gene wasn't deeply involved in the albums he was going to have an equal number of songs on an
3: album. Right, exactly.
0: Even though those songs didn't deserve to be on the album.
3: Right, No, exactly, exactly. Because, yeah, I mean, the thing with Gene, too, which I think now is pretty much commonly agreed, is uh, he lost his focus and even his luck in the 80s. He went from everyone wanted him to be the demon, and then he's you know dressing in feminine makeup. Meanwhile, I remember at the time reading interviews with him, saying, oh, you know, in 1972, 73, kiss at first, we tried to be like the New York dolls and we're putting on feminine makeup, but it would never work for us because we're we'll, six foot five. Yeah, we look, we look like, like a
0: bunch like of football, football, football players in like, makeup.
3: Yeah. But meanwhile, he's saying that in, in, in an interview. But then meanwhile, they go out and they're doing exactly what he's saying that they w- didn't do in the 19- 90s, that they thought was not a good idea back in 73. But now they're just doing it. You know, so he was like contradicting, contradicting himself a lot at that point, And it he wasn't so. Was it wasn't until the uh, Revenge album, I think, that, you know, the Gene Simmons that I think he was most comfortable with, which is the demonic, dark, you know, serious I... Gene Simmons came back. Because, I mean, if you even look at pictures of him here, I'll even try to show you. If, uh, I mean, like, look at him here in this picture. He's made yeah. that, That's not a very right. serious, He's like a goofy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look at that. That, to me, is someone who's uh, pretty, yeah he's not very focused and yeah i mean he's just not or even um let's see if i can yeah i mean even like this like this is a picture of them with the uh, band vixen yeah He just had, like you know i just just throw on sunglasses and yeah it's like no thought as to like how i should keep my image or, he, you know he, he 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 was
0: he was looking more like a banker who was trying <laughs> to dress up as a rock star right versus yeah, sure. being the rock star that he is and and again, maybe because, this is all speculation, mm. because he was checked out during the 80s, all of those fashion trends they went through, in my mm. opinion, worked fine on Paul. Paul looked great. Yeah. Paul always looked great in, in what he wore for Asylum, for Animal Eyes, for Crazy Nights. But is that because Paul was only concerned mainly about how he was going to look and the fact that Gene wasn't there every day contributing was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Then I'm not worrying about what Gene thinks of this because he doesn't care enough.
3: Well, the thing was, Paul Stanley was always flamboyant, even in the '70s. That was his whole like, you know, rock star yeah, type. Yeah, was a rock star. Whereas, yeah, whereas Gene Simmons wasn't flamboyant. He was always the demon, so uh, he couldn't uh, he he couldn't pull off putting rouge on his cheeks and puckering up his lips, or you know, it, it just it just would never work for him. But yet. 'Cause like you were saying before, he was off his focus was on launching Simmons Records at the time. It was and trying to and- also Liza Minnelli and it was also trying to star in movies. So he's spreading himself thinner and thinner throughout the eighties. So now Paul Stanley has to kind of pick up the load more. And, you know, he's he can only do so much. So I can totally understand Paul Stanley's gripe in his book. And he, he, he talks about this in his book that you know, he felt like it was him, pretty much running the show.
0: Yeah. So. Do do but, you know, do 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 look. Being able to look back now, do you do you think that, for the lack of a better term, it was it was Paul's, it was Kiss featuring Paul Stanley during the '80s. It was it was the Paul Stanley yeah. solo band on Animal Eyes, on Asylum, on Crazy Nights. You know, Hot in the Shade. I'm not sure. Maybe Gene was already starting to come back by then. He's but, starting to come back a little but, bit. But 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 you know. Uh, those those three albums, those are Paul Stanley solo albums, for lack of a better term.
3: I agree, totally. I agree. I would I would absolutely agree with that statement. And 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 I
0: think Crazy Nights is where that peaked. That was the ultimate Paul Stanley solo album, just under the Kiss brand.
3: Yeah, and interestingly enough, I think that's the most successful chart-wise album Kiss ever had in the UK. It peaked at number four, which is far higher than any seventies. Kiss album ever peaked there, so that's an interesting. And the uh, single Crazy Crazy Nights also peaked at four too. So yeah. whereas that album was supposed to be that they were banking on it being that huge here by getting Ron Nevison and trying to sweeten their sound keyboards, it didn't translate as well here in America as it did over in England for some reason. Do you do you think it was <laughs> it
0: was timing, and by that I mean. They released Crazy Nights after all of their, you know, contemporaries had already done that style of album, that style of music. Whereas if they were able to, you know, release it just beforehand, it might have gotten a better acceptance. As opposed to now the, you know, the Def Leppard and the Bon Jovi fans are like, "Uh, you know, I've already got Slippery When Wet. I've already got you know, <clears throat> hysteria. I've got, I've got, I've got this stuff already. You're just right. copying it. It's just Whitesnake. It's just all of this, as opposed to if they hadn't, if they had released Crazy Nights in 1986, mm. would it have fared better than it did in 1987?
3: Yeah, I think it would have. Cause also in late 87 into 1988, then you start having Guns N' Roses and also, metallica comes on very strong so now it's totally shifting from keyboards and now it's getting more into like a street real real sounding type uh metal i think is what started becoming popular but then again but but that said bon joey puts out the album new jersey and that's a very popish album and also poison keeps getting popular or more popular so i can see both sides of the story that uh, but Really, I mean, KISS was built in the 70s as being a, you know, kick-ass hard-rocking band. And at that point, like you were saying, they were trying to look more towards the Def Leppard's and Bon Jovi's, and that wasn't, I think... They're with their older.
1: Yes, I that, just don't think it resonated with people that were fans of those other bands.
3: Right. No. Yeah, I agree. They, yeah, you I know. know, I
0: think the fans of those other bands appreciated that Poison was influenced by KISS, mm. but... They like Poison, not Kiss.
3: Or maybe I would say the I don't know about the majority, but a good amount of Poison fans probably didn't even know anything about Kiss. They were probably oh, just like, sure. "Oh, that's like my dad's favorite band," or they probably didn't even you know think that Poison and Motley Crue and all these bands were obviously influenced by Kiss. They just you know thought that it was just and
0: and, and 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 let ones. let let's be honest, back in the seventies and the eighties, you know, Kiss was was very much a a band for male fans. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the 80s, you've got Poison and and all of those sorts coming out. And they were influenced by Kiss, but they were going after the girls.
3: Mm -hmm. And also scoring all the top 10 hits in the U.S. Yeah,
0: Yeah. you know, and there's the old saying, you go after the girls, because where the girls go, the guys follow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Kiss was not necessarily at the forefront of attracting the girls and the fan base during the 80s. And I'm not saying they didn't, but they right. weren't at the same level, you know. Listen, Gene Simmons is not in the same league as Bon Jovi when it came to looks in the right. 80s.
3: <laughs> right. But that it's that's a said sad I, truth. But that said, I, I and something I, I talk about in this book here is um Kisses, I, I would, I think Kisses 80s material holds up personally for me so much better than Bon Jovi and Rat and Poison. I would so much, ra- I would take Not For The Innocent any day over than You Give Love A Bad Name personally. That's just me. Right. I, I, I'm pretty sure that there's, that there's there's other Kiss fans that feel, that feel the same way too, that right. I think uh, Kisses, like you know, I Lick It Up, Heaven's On Fire, those songs, I think, hold up a hell of a whole lot better than uh, Poison. Uh, what is uh, the song called? Talk but to Me, Nothing But a yeah, yeah. Time. Yeah,
1: but, but that was kind of my point earlier, is, is that now you have these cover bands playing those songs because it fills the dance floor with the girls and people are buying drinks and food and they fill the bar because of it. Whereas even though we could argue all day long that Heaven's on Fire is holds up better, it's still, it's it, the thing I just still to this day don't understand is how can you not get tired of hearing Sweet Child of Mine? Yeah. It's been everywhere forever. I and agree. And if, if these poor bands don't play that song, people are pissed. Right. Like, I agree. Go listen to it at home. It's. It, <laughs> I think there's a weird dichotomy there with the people that are going out and supporting live music from that era. Mm-hmm.
3: I agree. I totally agree. I'm I am i am always the type of guy that would rather not I mean, for me, appetite for destruction, I, I if I never hear Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City and also Sweet Child of Mine, if I never hear those songs again in my life, I'd be happy. And I hate and, and and also I hate to say it as much as I like Kiss, I mean I've heard rock and roll all night so much that if I never hear that again, although I once did think it was a great song. To the point now, it just you know i I just never ever have to hear it again, because I've heard it so right. much you know right. the, same with, the same with you know certain queen songs If I never you know, hear that that, that it, it will rock you ever again you know that, that's yeah. a, that's
0: a that's a enviable problem for a band to have right that that's they've true. they've got one, two, three songs that are right. so overplayed that people don't want right. to hear them it's like that's not a bad problem when you think right. about well, it. Really. The thing
3: is, I, I, like I was saying earlier, Queen is my all-time favorite band. But like right now, I'm just sick and tired because of, of hearing them. But I mean, in Queen's defense, they have what like 20 songs that people know now. You know, so I mean, that's like a great problem to have that you have 20, 20. class songs that people around the world recognize. You know.
0: Well, you know, and and you know, a quick offshoot. I mean that that leads into Kisses Forever problem of a set list. I mean, mm. this is a band that's been around, they're pushing 50 years now. Mm. All of the music they've released, they can't realistically put together a set list that's going to have all of the tunes everybody wants to hear, because there's too many of them.
2: True. I agree. There's yeah, just I agree. too
0: many songs that, that are good. Uh, you know, I would love to you know, hear Kiss do the set that Bruce Kulick did. But they're just Wait. not going to do that.
3: Well, then that also leads to the next question. if you're going to ask this, then at, at what point does Bruce consider taking that band out on the road, or you know? I've said a, that too before. You Mike. know, do yeah. Do
0: after mm. the after the the last cruise where he kind of debuted to all of that, um, my thought was, good lord, Kiss needs to take this out as their opening act. Mm. And now or you've that. got Bruce Kulik doing 80s Kiss as the opener, mm-hmm. and then you got Kiss coming on and doing all the other stuff. Talk about a dream show of all right. of the Kiss material from their entire career are being played every night. I would kill for that.
3: Yeah, or if Bruce Kulik were to tour with also Ace, maybe that would also be close to that as well. Yeah. Maybe like co- co- Just
1: co- get out on the road and do something. Yeah. Absolutely, because that's the other piece for me, and we've discussed this before, is is that seeing them do that stuff live on the cruise brings life to those songs for me that are lacking. And it's always a it's a production issue.
3: Hmm. You know, I, Yeah. Yeah, and I was gonna say too, the thing I was just watching the other day the uh songs that Bruce did on the Kiss Cruise, and something that I talk about in the uh, book is um that uh the problem, my, my main gripe with the, a lot of the '80s Kiss albums, is the production is very, very dated. Whereas yep. the, the the way that Bruce played those songs live is very raw and rocking, and that I think yep. sounds a lot totally. better. Totally, yeah. So I think that also, like, you don't necessarily have to like a lot of those songs or sounds. I How think they come alive
1: when they right. play.
3: Them. Well, exactly I mean, it,
0: it, it just it <laughs> goes it goes back to what Kiss has done with "I Was Made for Loving You" for many many years. I mean, right. they don't play the disco version live; they play a heavy rocking version, which yeah, people love it. Yeah, I
2: agree. I agree.
1: Yeah, I wish Bruce would go out on the road and do that. Um, I really, I, I think it would sell.
0: So so moving from Asylum, let's stop real quick at at Smashes. That was uh kind of an interesting like what's going on here right. you know <laughs> right. i understood that you know as a, it was a greatest hits and as a greatest hits album the label sold a ton of them but having eric carr sing beth <laughs> and the the two new songs hmm. which were and and as as you illustrate they what did what did bruce say they went in and recorded both those songs within one day
3: Yeah, I think that's it's it's
0: like that's clearly just two throwaway songs, and they sound like it. Again, they fit the '80s sound, right? But it goes to further show that that the filler is is heavy in the Kiss world during the '80s. Filler material.
3: I agree. I totally agree. It almost like that whole
0: album was a filler album.
3: It was, yeah. And then they also chose to put those two songs on as opposed to including anything from Crazy Nights or anything from The Elder and nothing from Unmasked. So, I mean, it's like from... It, 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 what they should have done is from Double Platinum, because Kill, Kiss Killers didn't come out in the U.S., then you go to the next Kiss compilation as a Smashers Thrashes album. They could have probably... I mean, the song Shandy, if they maybe remixed that and put it, put it on that album, that could have been a single or a video just because that was... They were trying to write a pop hit. That song from 1980 didn't really take off here in America. Oh, yeah. Maybe that would have done better here. Who knows? You know, that's something that they could have done. But I guess they, they figured putting two new songs on it is going to, it's going to attract, you know, Kiss collectors and completists that are then going to buy it. So that was. A well, you
0: out. know, yeah. I mean, as, as a Kiss fan, I don't care. I'm buying it. It's a new album. Right. I'm buying right. it. I don't it, one song, zero songs. I bought it, you right. know, but did I need it? no (laughs) not not at all didn't need that album one bit um one of the things you 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 talked to ron nevison about with crazy nights was you know being that it was the 30th anniversary recently um wouldn't it have been great to give that album a you know a a new mix like they did with having bob Ezrin come in with destroyer Mm -hmm. resurrected um crazy nights resurrected Listen, I love Crazy Nights as it is, but I would sure love to hear a heavier version of Crazy Nights as well. Yeah. Wouldn't, and you know, that... If there's, if there's one album, I think, during the 80s that you would do that to...
1: Unmasked also,
0: though. Unmasked, yes. But, but we're talking, you know, out-of-makeup albums here.
1: Right, but, but I have to throw that in there.
0: I, I, I think Crazy Nights is the album that could best handle a new mix
3: yeah yeah that was actually the question i asked him or the the, the idea yeah that that's what i that's what i said i said it, it made no sense why kiss wouldn't have gotten in contact with him for the 30-year anniversary and uh, remix it and maybe add on sword sword in the stone as well yeah yeah because uh, bruce says that uh that was a song that uh quote-unquote got away so yeah
0: yeah didn't he didn't he say that ron didn't like it John, he didn't ron, like ron it
3: He didn't like it, and I asked Ron about it, and he said he has no memory of the song. So, So I mean, and
0: there's there's clearly plenty of demos during that that recording in that era that you could have, you could have made. You know, the two disc set of here's here's a bunch of demos. Here's the remixed album. Um, Right. It would have you know it would have been very interesting to hear. And I think all the KISS fans, whether you're uh, 70s or 80s fans, would have probably bought it, because again, you're a KISS completist, so you're going to have to have it.
3: Right, yeah, and uh, that's a part that I have in the uh, book, uh, Bruce Kulik talking about those demos, because it seems like the Crazy Nights album <clears throat> had the most demos that have been leaked to fan within the fan circle yep. over the years of uh, songs that didn't make the album, and even song titles that people have never heard, the actual songs, so... I asked Bruce about all that material, and he gives his thoughts about what each track sounds like and which ones he likes and which ones he doesn't care for.
0: I, I remember, uh, and Tommy, you could probably add to this, you know, around that era it's when I really started doing the record shows. Mm-hmm. And that's when all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, somebody's got a cassette tape of demos. All
3: right. And, and And
0: it's not like just one demo. It's like there's eight demos here it's like a whole nother kiss album worth of material yeah. and yeah. and you're right all of a sudden it seemed like in 87 ish 88 mm-hmm. all of a sudden these demos were just coming out and it was incredible yeah. as a kiss fan to go It's the first time i really really saw that there were so many demos of kiss available
1: Yeah, because up until that point, it was mostly Beatles material more than anything else. I mean, a lot of Zeppelin live shows and stuff, but I always remember thinking, gosh, and I am a Beatles fan, but for someone that's a really big Beatles fan that collects everything, how wonderful it must be to be in that position because they'd have a whole CD literally on one song with 40 different tracks and how the whole thing was put together. And that was fascinating, so yeah, I would agree eighty seven eighty eight i you started to actually see some of that stuff for the first time
0: yeah. sure now now- now we 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 move into hot in the shade mm. which you know that 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 album has fans have a lot of opinions about that album mm. um but it clearly felt like that was an album that was done with no focus really
2: it, i agree yeah it, it yeah, sort of felt it's, like it's I'll, like
0: we need to do an album to collect our advance from the label
3: yeah, yeah i yeah the, the the quality of that album there was a lot of filler and uh, it sounds that like that a mean, bunch of demos really yeah it sounded like a bunch of demos and it was very it was it was, it was way too long too it was yes. uh, i think it was, it was almost an hour and it could have been easily... I think if he cut out the material that wasn't that great... Well, was he, was it that
0: you that commented it. in the book or somebody you were talking to that it should have had like four or five less songs?
3: Yeah, I think it was Brent Brent Fitz, the drummer okay. of Bruce's band, I think, said that. I think he said... Or, or maybe it was it was either him or... It wasn't it, Eddie it, Trunk. I was going to say, I think it was actually Eddie Trunk who said that, yeah. He said that if you cut, cut off a few songs that it would have uh, definitely helped the album, which uh, I think and, he's right. And,
0: and, you know, but keeping in mind Timeline... CDs were now the new rage at that point in time. And And, I remember... And and CDs, and one one second, Tommy, CDs held 75 minutes worth of music. Yeah. So for uh, a short period of time, bands and labels felt like they had to shove as much music as they could to fill up that whole 75 minutes, even though it wasn't songs that should have made the cut.
3: No, I think he yeah. summed it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, at that point, you have bands like um, <clears throat> Metallica who are putting out very, very long albums. And yes, yeah, that was the uh, gimmick at the time to put out very, very long albums. Remember, and...
0: remember the gimmick of the hidden track on a CD that you had to yeah. go to like track number 76 and right. it was a hidden song? It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. <laughs> <Not> really? Yeah.
1: And <laughs> well, I, I remember Polygram was steamrolling that with many of their releases it wasn't just hot in the shade but i remember them putting stickers and doing ads about over 60 minutes worth yeah. of music 75
0: minutes worth of music on this disc
1: yeah they really pushed that
0: and and yeah. and hot in the shade is the is the example of why you don't do that mm mm-hmm. You don't right. have to be a Kiss fan. Right. Anybody right. can just look at Hot in the Shade and go, there shouldn't be 75 minutes worth of music on that album. Right.
3: right. That's true. There's a famous saying, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Exactly. Right.
0: And and it's it also illustrates, so other than Ron Nevison, Kiss during the 80s was all self-produced. Mm-hmm.
3: Right, well, except for, yeah, all right, Ron Everson and also Michael uh, James Jackson with uh, Lick It Up.
0: With, with Lick It Up, true.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. But
0: then we go into Gene and Paul co-producing, and for the most part, it's probably mainly Paul, and Gene's just got his name on there. Um, Hot in the Shade is a perfect example of a band that needed a producer to be able to say, half of these songs are not finished, and they're That's not right. going on the album go back come back a week later and finish these songs
3: yeah i agree
1: not to mention just the concept of the whole thing with the sphinx it's like it just <laughs> yeah i just remember thinking what the hell is this
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. well yeah. you know
0: and it, it and at that time their 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 stage clothes the the clothes they were wearing were becoming even more like i'm not quite sure what this look is are we just going for Denim, denim shirts and blue jeans. Here, are we trying to be a rock band? Paul is always trying to look good, and then you got Gene, who you're just like Gene. I'm not quite getting the cowboy hat and the, (laughs) you know, the denim shirt, and you know, they really hadn't coalesced. Is what
1: it was. Gene was still lost.
3: Yeah, I agree. It wasn't until uh, Revenge that Gene finally found his way. All of them did, actually. Yeah. I think. Yeah.
0: Now, yeah, I how much do you think, how much credit do we give Larry Mazur for bringing that KISS focus back? Now, Larry was involved in Hot in the Shade mm. and Revenge, right. but, you know, and we've had, we have had Larry Mazur on once years ago. Mm. Um, I feel like he's the KISS manager who... He's the forgotten kiss manager who deserves a lot more credit.
3: Yeah, I agree. Because I didn't interview him for this book, Take It Off, but I did interview Larry Mazur for the uh, Eric Carr storybook. And uh, he, I think, pretty much flat out said that with uh, Revenge, he, wa- he demanded that Gene have the first single. He wanted Gene to find yep. himself again. So, I mean, that is a pretty valid point that uh, Larry may have had a huge deal behind the scenes with uh, Gene finding his focus again for Revenge.
0: Now, and this is something we've mentioned before, and I'd love to get your take on it. So coming in and going out of of the 80s, basically, you've got two phenomenal albums, Creatures of the Night and Revenge. Mm -hmm. Two albums that, for the most part, are, I think, going to always be within a KISS fan's top 10, and they could Mm -hmm. be closer to top five for many of them. Because they're very strong albums. Yet, it felt like the timing for both of those albums was completely wrong. Creatures came at a time, as we talked about earlier, Kiss was dead Mm. already. So people like you just overlooked it completely. Mm. And then you've got Revenge coming out in 92, where it's like, all right, Kiss has finally gotten back to their sound, their stage, their look, their everything. Oh, but guess what grunge is here and nobody right. gives a crap about any band that's hard rock let alone kisses a joke again.
3: Well, yeah, but, but, but then again that said Revenge went to number number 6 on the charts which was their highest charting album since I believe Dynasty. But it barely went gold. It, it was either 6 or 9. Yeah, but you're right, it did it did just go gold, but it did go to 6 or and, 9. And, but- and
0: and the two and the tour was you know, right up yeah. there with the Creatures of the Night tour okay. for playing. Yeah, and like this was
2: not
1: amazing.
0: Now, right, and, and, cool. and, and you, I can't remember who mentioned this in the book, whether it was you or somebody you interviewed, but that was also what was with the tour lineup at that point in time, putting Faster Pussycat and Trickster out on yeah. the road in 92. Those were the, especially Trickster. Nobody yeah. wanted to go see Trickster in 1992.
3: Do you know what's funny? At that point, even though as much as I loved KISS um, and I was happy to see that they were back again with a very heavy and hard look, it felt to me at the time as not being quite sincere because I remember as a fan... uh, At that point, I was kind of taking a back seat because at that point, I'm listening to Soundgarden and and I'm discovering all these bands and I'm thinking like, all right, you know, so now I'm supposed to believe that KISS is this really heavy band again, so I'm supposed to forget the last five albums? Am I supposed to forget what they look like on Crazy Nights? Am I supposed to You know, it's like all these things which, I mean, I guess it was probably the same thing, like you said before, the same as Creatures of the Night. Maybe that was why that album, you know, wasn't as widely received as it should have been because just fans just couldn't even, it, they, they weren't trusted yet or it took a little while for fans to realize that they were back again. I don't know, but I mean...
1: Isn't that part of the rub, though, Mm -hmm. in the respect that, okay, if you take someone who happens to be in the moment in 1987 and likes Crazy Crazy Nights and buys the record and then the next record comes out not sounding like it and they discard it, Mm -hmm. you take someone like yourself or any of us that were bigger fans and we keep following the band through all of these changes and then we're looking at it going, OK, do I believe that this is actually going to come back again? Because I remember buying those records through the 80s going, "When is when am I going to get what I'm hoping for, which ended up for me was Revenge. Right. So I think that when you play to the masses sometimes or you try to get on the Bon Jovi wagon or the success to get like that, you also have the same ability – not intentionally to literally have your real, true fans turn their backs on you,
3: right? Well, then, I mean, the the biggest, I think, example of that is what happened next with the Carnival of Soul, Souls album. That, to me, I mean, I know that that album has a cult following, but that it's a disaster. Yeah, a, it, it's, that album for me personally is probably my least favorite Kiss album, just because uh, it's right it's, there with Peter it, Chris's solo album. Yeah, let's put it that yeah, way, that, that's great. It was just that's the ultimate example for me personally of Kiss being insincere because it's a flat-out Alice in Chains ripoff. Is, it is it, how it, it was out. it
0: was the most blatant example of jumping on a bandwagon
3: they've yeah, ever absolutely.
0: done, and and we've we were, were very clear in saying they've jumped on many bandwagons in their mm-hmm. career. You know, mm-hmm. Dynasty was jumping on a bandwagon. Um, Crazy Nights is jumping on a bandwagon. But those still had a KISS sense to them. Yeah. They may not have sonically sounded exactly like Rock and Roll Over, but they had a KISS sense to it. Right. Carnival of Souls felt like, you're right, this isn't KISS at any level. This is Alice and no. Chains. Right. And this is a pure copy. This is a pure grab. We're trying to save our asses mm. because what... We did with revenge, even though they probably loved it, and the mm. fans loved it, you know Gene, you know it's as what what mark Mark Cicchini has talked to Gene once and goes, "Why didn't you use the 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 creature's drum sound on lick it up?" He's like, because creatures didn't sell, why would I recreate what didn't sell <laughs> right so you know
1: why just re- the mentality there
0: well, mm. you know it's it's them trying it's it's a and i can see it's got to be a tough internal battle for any musician you're you're trying to be yourself and be creative but at the same time you've got to worry about sustaining a career literally well, keeping your point. career alive
1: that's a great point because if you take someone like the beatles mm-hmm. they were together for what seven or eight years and they're done right. now in that seven or eight years the amount of music and catching lightning in a bottle, that is exactly what that was. But now take KISS or Aerosmith or whomever and try and put them in a situation where they're gonna have longevity. I just think that, you know, for the luck of the draw with Aerosmith, they got lucky with John Klodner and maybe some of the other people that helped them to shove them in a direction that seemed a little bit more palatable to people than than KISS did. It seemed like Aerosmith had that break from you know uh what early 80s into 87 when permanent vacation came out they didn't keep making all those mistakes other than done with mirrors which most people didn't even realize came out
3: yeah i mean for me personally i mentioned soundgarden before they're they're one of my all time favorite bands and that to me is one of the few bands that never lost their way and was always true to what they did and i can't point to any album or any phase and say oh this is them just trying to sound like you know corn or like you know well, right. remember when soundgarden tried to do rap or I remember when soundgarden tried to do a piano ballad it was that's i think one of the few bands and that's why soundgarden's one of my favorite bands of all time is cuz they stayed true from beginning to end to their own they had like their own vision that they that they remained true to from beginning to end Rem-
0: remember remember when kiss tried to do rap
3: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. all hells
0: breaking loose <laughs> and, I, and and I, and i remember i don't know if it was the record label or MTV or somebody was trying to make a big deal out of that of like, hey, kiss is at the forefront they're they're doing <laughs> rap heavy metal, and I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> but that's right. one of the
1: reasons why cheap trick has been is one of my favorites too. Yeah, they've had a few different types of albums where they've experimented, but for the most part they've always been who they are.
3: yeah, I agree
1: you know cheap but yeah. then if kiss stayed true to who they were, would it have been over considerably earlier than it? you know that it was
0: well you know KISS has got something that maybe no other band really has ever had to deal with at the level KISS has had the stereotype of the band not being able to make music that they're mm-hmm. just a bunch of cartoon characters putting on a stage show with a lot of pyro and lights mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of
1: musicians who think that.
0: of them. Well, no, that that's the problem that Kiss has had through their entire career mm. is is people look at it like it's it's, it's Kiss. So they, I can't take Kiss seriously. Come on, it's like my you know my dad loved Kiss when he was four years old, and mm-hmm. you know they were they were superheroes. It's like that's not a rock band. Right. I think that is something that's always been there with Kiss. And it's just certain moments like the revenge era to Car- Carnival Souls, when the whole music buying population changes direction in the blink of an eye and the business turns off everything that they were supporting a year ago mm. that's that's tough that's got to be extremely tough for somebody like Kiss.
3: Yeah, but the thing I talk about in the uh, book, "Take It Off," similar to "Crazy Nights," was about a year or two late. The same with "Carnival of Souls." When that came, it was supposed to come out, I believe, in 1996. By by 1996, you, you could make a very valid argument that grunge is, uh, is is pretty much finished by that point anyway, because Soundgarden is just about to split up, Alice in Chains is about to stop touring, Pearl Jam isn't touring as much because they're having the Ticketmaster wars. And then also uh, Nirvana's Gone. So for them to do an Alice in Chains album in 1996, they should have been doing that probably in like 1993 or 1994, the latest, you know? So yeah, that's also no. another album that's in a few years too I, late. I was
0: just going to say, I wonder how Carnival Souls would have been received if it came out in 93.
3: Possibly better. You know, possibly better. But again, I mean, if someone like me is, is finding revenge hard to swallow, then that I would be like... Well, yeah, I, now,
0: and but, and me as a well, Kiss fan, I would be like, I would still have a hard time swallowing Carnival Souls, even in '93. And that's because, the
3: problem.
1: That's yeah. the problem. It can be the greatest record in the world, but the young kids that look at someone like Kurt Cobain or uh, Chris Cornell aren't going to look at Paul and Gene and the other guys in the band the same way.
0: Well, yeah. but but you, you're right. But even the die-hard fans that that would have been my diehard fan checking out moment was Carnival of Souls, because I've said this many times, Kiss for me is a is a fun band. It's a party band. It's a feel-good, be-happy band. There's songs, rock and roll all night, party every day, shout it out loud, crazy, crazy nights. You know, it's, it's not a depressing band. So yeah, when a Carnival of Souls book, yeah. comes out, yeah. they're trying to sing about heartache and depression and how lo- tough life is. I'm like, but you guys are freaking multimillionaires. Right. I don't buy that. I don't buy right. that as sincere lyrics. It's like I said, even about Sonic Boom and Monster, I don't buy songs about groupies anymore from Kiss because you don't have groupies. Yeah. You, you've got wives and kids that you care more about and God bless you and that's great. But it's not sincere to think you can write a song like Meet Me in the Ladies' Room in 2019. It's not going to sit well with the fans who go, that's not you. That's not yeah. who you are now. Mm-hmm. And that's what Carnival Souls was. That's not who you are.
3: I agree 100%. And that's why this book comes in so handy.
0: Uh, it it It's great. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know... Well, you know, before, before we wrap, let's let's touch Kiss Alive 3 real briefly.
3: Oh, sure. Yeah, I actually forgot about Alive 3. Yeah, so,
0: so did I. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've gone on record saying Kiss Alive 2 is my all-time favorite Kiss Alive album. Mm-hmm. Kiss Alive 3 is my second. I like it better than Kiss Alive because I came in after Alive. I came in mm-hmm. in the, the rock and roll over era, so that was my Kiss and then, it, as I said at the beginning of the show, I exploded in 79, and the 80s were, I was fully deep in it. It's like I was going to, can't wait for the concert, can't wait for the albums, buying posters. I was deep into it. So Kiss Alive 3 is a moment in my timeline that's really personal to me.
2: Right.
3: Well, I think the track list of Alive 3 is great. I have no, I have no problem with the, with, with, with the track listing. The thing that I just have a hard time listening, and it's even with listening to the second Alive album, is just the fake audience that they add into it. It's just uh, really hard to take. In fact, I talk about in this book, as much as I love the song called <clears throat> Watching You, they put a ridiculous amount of audience cheering in it to the point that it sounds like you're watching Queen do We Will Rock You at the Live Aid. Performance—it's like, am I supposed to believe that them doing a obscure song off of the Hotter Than Hell album is going to get that kind of response? Reaction? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that they—they they go a little bit too overboard. Or even going back to the second live album, I think it's like Love Gun. You can hear three different Paul Stanley voices harmonizing the chorus. It's like, and you got to use some kind of reality when you're going back and fixing up these, you know, live albums. You know, that's you, you, so that's you know, really and the, that, th- those those are 90%. all um, extremely valid points.
0: I think for me, a live album, and listen, you know, we, we could rip apart Kiss Alive mm-hmm. for everything but the drum tracks, which are redone in the studio and it's fake yeah. crowd and everything else. The live albums represent a special moment mm-hmm. in your life of where you were. Kiss Alive 2 is when I very first discovered Kiss. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, these guys are monsters yeah kiss alive three represents a decade of me being so over the top obsessed with kiss Mm -hmm. that that just hearing the intro to the out to the album just you know it's like a time warp brings me right back to a moment i think that's what a live album should try and capture for people and and and, and 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 it's 100% valid for someone to say Kiss Alive 3 isn't that for me that's great because you weren't somewhere where that was important to you mm. Kiss Alive was that for you or Cheap Trick Budokan or an Iron Maiden live album or whoever it might be mm. live albums are, are a special moment in your in your fandom I think
3: yeah I agree I agree with you
0: I I think you know. Per, going back, I think production was a little off for *Kiss Alive* three. Like you said, for most of the stuff during the the eighties, out of the unmasked stuff, production was a little. Well, looking back, it doesn't hold up quite as well. Maybe right. at the time it was perfect because that's what was going on at the time. Mm. Um, but it's it's it's. It's an interesting thing to be able to discuss with Kiss because they've been around for so long. Right. We've said this many times, haven't we, Tommy? That, you know, we're lucky we've got a band that's been around this long that we can rip apart all of this stuff to the fineness that we do. There's some people that their favorite band had one album and one tour and that was it and they were gone. Right. You know, how do you, it's not taken away from their importance and their music. But how does that sustain this deep level of fandom like Kiss has had for 50 years?
3: It's Sure. I mean, before I mentioned being such a big fan of Shannon Hoon and also Blind Melon, he sadly was only around for two albums. That's right. That's, yeah. And I, I I would have loved to have seen what he would have gone on to do. But then we have bands like Queen and Kiss that have a huge library of music and songs, thankfully, that we can listen to forever.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it... Bands like Queen and Kiss and Aerosmith and ACDC and Priest and Maiden, you know, Cheap Trick, they all are proof of that statement standing the test of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, music is such a fickle thing. It's popular today and it's not popular tomorrow. And as Kiss fans, we've seen that many times. Mm -hmm. Yet here they are. And as, as, as we so... Love to say on this show, forget the haters, we won. Yeah. Our band is still... Could you imagine in 1979 when you went and saw Kiss that in 2019 they'd still be here touring, selling yeah. out stadiums yeah. and arenas around the world?
3: Mm. God, no. There's a very interesting point made in the book. I forget who says it, but it may have been Kurt Gooch where he says that um, the in 1995, and it was, I think, July, Kiss... Uh, played Roseland in the city on the uh, Kiss convention tour. Yeah. And I guess he did like, you know, pretty good business. Exactly one year later, they were headlining a sold out Madison Square Garden. He said to the best of his knowledge, that's the only band that ever rose that dramatically in popularity so quickly again that to go from headlining Roseland then to headlining multiple nights actually at Madison Square Garden. Yep. Yeah. I not think of any other band.
0: And, and and we didn't get into it, but you get into um, "Kiss My Ass." You talk about in here as well.
3: Which um, I, think is one of the best, I think it's one of the best tribute albums ever, and I think that the Kiss Unplugged is one of the best. And and uh, Kiss
0: Unplugged, you're right. Unplugged,
3: uh, yeah. yeah. I, I put Kiss. I put Kiss Unplugged up with the Nirvana Unplugged and the best people. You know, the the ones that people consider the top top Unplugged. I, I put the the thing that I like, and I talk about this in the book. What I like so much about Kiss Unplugged is because it does not sound very overdubbed. It sounds like it's really Kiss Live, and that's yeah. why I like that album so much.
0: And and going back to what I was saying about a live album, and and I mean, I'm I'm at fault for this. A lot of times I forget to include Unplugged as a Kiss Live album, but it is. It's a, it's a moment in time that pretty much connects to every Kiss fan.
3: Yeah. Yeah, they uh, touched upon uh, all the eras with that. They, and they touched did good upon job.
0: all the eras, and it was the lead in to obviously mm. the reunion. So it was one of those things where pretty much every Kiss fan's going, I know where I was. I remember when I heard it. I, you know, I remember the buzz about that. So, mm. I'd like
1: to see him do another Kiss My Ass Now moving forward because now you'd have bands, because to me that was a, a big letdown because a lot of the artists on that particular record I was not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. I would love to see the Foo Fighters and and some of those bands do something. You know, sure. I'd love to see another version of that.
3: Well, the Foo Fighters, I'm sure you know, covered Ace's song uh, Ozone. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
1: Absolutely. They, yeah. You know, I you know I would have loved to. I'd heard at one point there was a rumor that Madonna was going to do "I Was Made for Loving You." I'd love to see that.
3: Yeah, I remember in the, I think it was the Kiss My Ass Home video, there was a board where it said Soundgarden was lined up to do, uh, or they, they wanted Soundgarden to do War Machine. Which would have been wanted, cool. Uh, they wanted uh, Nine Snails to do Love Gun, Madonna to do I Was Made For Loving You. And they asked Stone Temple Pilots, and they asked also Nirvana, but they didn't get back or anything. So, yeah, those are all, and I, I even talk about it in the book, about those those other artists that they were asked or were supposedly lined up to do it, and it, for whatever reason it fell, fell through
2: yeah
0: so greg um and we've been on for clearly almost two hours so as as i said is
3: that a is
0: that a, is that a new record um not a oh. new not a new record but it's oh. just it's it's clear proof that a great kiss conversation just keeps going and going yeah, think, and you don't have to force it i
1: want to say any trunk once was almost three.
3: Oh, okay
0: well, wait. I, we... I think you know Tommy. At the very beginning, we did an interview with Eddie Cannon that we had to split into Two, two. two, yeah. two episodes.
1: Yeah.
3: Um,
2: but we stay, well,
3: well, well, then I, I propose: why don't we stay on for another hour? Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go pick up my daughter <laughs> at school. Um, okay. But this book.
2: It's it great. great.
0: Off, take it off. Kiss truly unmasked comes out November 19th,
3: correct? Correct, and it is currently available for pre-order on Amazon. So head over over to Amazon and order this. Wasn't that the day that The Elder was released? Ooh, hold on a second. I'm I'm, going to look that up right now. Hang on a second.
0: I don't know. Kiss Alive Forever will let us know if we're wrong.
3: Yeah, I mean, I hate to be corrected. (laughs) (laughs) I'll look it up quickly on uh, Wikipedia. Let's see what they have to say about that.
0: Uh, it might be because that was it came out just before Thanksgiving. Uh,
3: November tenth. Okay. Well, but you know, but then again, Wikipedia is often. Uh, yeah, ship date was, I like wanted. I remember
1: it because there was a huge snowstorm. It, yeah, Michael, I remember
0: that as well. Oh. Yeah, going picking it up. It was a huge snowstorm. I hmm. I quickly taped it. I taped the elder because we were driving to from Minneapolis to St. Louis for family Thanksgiving reunion. And I remember playing the elder for my cousins who were basically around my age, not Mm -hmm. big KISS fans. They were big Rush fans. Uh Um, And they were just like, what is this? (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, this is KISS.
3: I'm trying to be excited. This
0: is KISS. Isn't this great? Listen (laughs) to this.
3: And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, (laughs) no, no. I remember trying to fool myself into liking it. And then after a month, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I just couldn't. But I mean, but now I can listen back and I could totally appreciate it. But uh, it was tough back time, then
0: when it came out,
3: wasn't it? Yeah, and, and, you know, the thing is, too. I guess I don't know if it was just me being young at that point. But I just I had a kind of a uh, how I looked at it like was, oh, well, then these bands will never be good again. Like Kiss will never be good again after this. Queen will never be like not realizing like they that can't, they
0: can't come back.
3: Yeah, like not really. The bands that are around for a long time have peaks and valleys, and I didn't, you know, because I was so young, I didn't realize that yeah. at that point.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, it was tough to be a KISS fan back then. Really tough. I mean, first of all, there wasn't a lot for you to be excited about. They just, right. they, they weren't releasing stuff. The music wasn't great. They weren't touring.
1: The 10th has to be right, because the 19th was a Thursday. And those releases were always on a Tuesday. So it's either the 10th or the 17th. Okay. But everyone seems to think it's the 10th. So we'll roll with that.
0: When was the, well, do a Google search for the big snowstorm in Minnesota. Okay. When was that? Um, So, yes, while while Tommy's doing that, everybody, head over to Amazon. Either pre-order it or get it the day it comes out. This is a great book. It covers an era of KISS that, you know, I personally feel doesn't get its due. But it's very important. I mean, you know, KISS sold millions of albums unmasked, millions. I've heard like 10 million.
3: Something like that. Yeah. Something
0: like that. So they, they were far from a failure. As much as you might not like these albums, they were far from a failure. They toured consistently. They sold millions of albums. they got tons of MTV play. could be argued right. that MTV saved kiss
3: yeah, that was definitely saved a lot a- of bands yeah, it did yeah and this we'll thing and the thing too with this book is you don't have to be a just a fan of non makeup era kiss I think you could be like because I'll be honest, I will always prefer seventies kiss as my favorite kiss era. But I mean, just looking, at, if, if you read this book, it definitely puts it into context. And you can, and and, and there is quite a, quite a bit to learn from this book about the uh, 70s era as well, I think. But I think it's a very good companion to a lot of the earlier it, it, uh, it de-
0: it, books. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, if you're a Kiss fan of the whole era, history of the band, this needs a spot on your bookshelf because nobody else goes into this depth just on this era.
1: It's well written and it's filled with all kinds it's, of it's great. An
0: e- it's an production. easy read as well, mm-hmm. which is which is nice. Yeah, thank
3: yeah. you. I, I you know I I definitely appreciate getting my uh, ass kissed. <laughs> <laughs> well, li- listen, I mean, you if
0: you've listened to us from the beginning, you know we don't ass kiss because we've, oh, yeah. uh, we've we've yeah. we've we've uh, said a few things about some at least one book that we didn't think too highly of and. Oh, okay. um, no, this is this is this is a great book. It's you know, as you talked about if you're going to write a book, find a a niche that's different that hasn't been done a million times over. Right. And the Unmasked Era of Kiss has not been done a million times over. It hasn't been done one times over, basically.
3: That's true. I mean, again, yeah.
0: yeah. giving given Julian Gill credit, he's written some fascinating in-depth books. Mm-hmm. about every aspect of KISS, but they can be a little heavy in in material to absorb, let's put it that way.
3: Right, I understand. Um
0: okay. this 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 was just you know, it it flowed very well going from album to album and talking to the producer. I mean you talked to Toby Wright, you talked to Ron Nevison, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking to getting Bruce's input because, you know, Please, he was there for the whole thing.
3: He was, yeah. So that's why I I wanted to make him a big part of the book was because I knew that he had a lot of interesting things to uh, tell. Just from when I interviewed him for the uh, Eric Carr story book, I know he he was full of interesting stories. So I realized that you know, going a little bit further than just the Eric Carr albums too, it'd be good to hear what he had to say about that as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: awesome. Greg, thank you so much again, everybody. Thank you. Go out, pick up this book; it's worth it. You will love it. I guarantee it.
3: Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, You're Greg. Yep.
0: Um, I love that. You know, no, I, everybody knows no I'm a huge fan of, of 80s Kiss. Love this discussion. Um, this was fascinating book. Again, I can't give enough thumbs up. Get this book. I just
1: like being able to say something. You know, with Mark gone.
0: Uh, yeah, Mark. Mark. Mark is um, in a food coma right now. Let's be honest; he's in a yes, seafood yes. coma right now.
2: Yeah,
1: he just ate the whole. Uh, I don't know, shrimp, state of Florida. Shrimp,
0: shrimp population around Tampa.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you want, if you guys are, went out for crab last week, anywhere in clear water and there wasn't any, that's why.
0: Yeah, now he's he's sucking it all up in Tampa. So. Mm. Hmm no great conversation take it off kiss truly unmasked great book fun read easy read um really goes into an era that just does not get its its dues anymore
1: right and this uh show will be coming out and it still won't be released at that point there's a few more days so from a homework standpoint What did you think of the conversation? What did you agree with that we discussed? What do you disagree with? What are your opinions on... Are you
0: going to get the book?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. There you go. You know know where to go with your homework. Facebook.com slash Three Sides of the Coin. Three Sides of the Coin on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. Check us out. Leave your comments. Pick up the book. Support support Greg this is uh, again can't say enough about it great book Um, and uh, what else oh go over to iTunes leave us a review and a rating it means a lot it helps and if you're watching us on YouTube hit that little subscribe button down in the lower right corner of the video subscribe and you'll never miss another video and that's it it's good Besides, we're out of here. See you next week.
2: Love the show. Go to iTunes.ThreeSidesOfTheCoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free free copy of the Kiss School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with Kiss. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.